Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode's sermon, we're starting into a brand new series of sermons where we're going to be talking about what it means to be a part of the church. And we're going to start this sermon in a bit of an unusual place. We're going to be starting out in a passage of scripture that you typically hear read at weddings, not a passage that we usually use to talk about the church. So with that in mind, let's get right into this week's sermon. So this morning we're starting into a brand new series of sermons that we're calling We Are the Church. So that means that over the next three weeks we're going to be talking about what it means to be a member, what it means to be a part of Melbourne Heights Baptist Church. And we're doing this because we're in a transition, in a pivotal time in the life of our church. And we know that it's not going to be a whole lot longer before we leave this property behind and we officially relaunch in a new location. And without the financial burdens of this building hanging over our heads, we also know that we're going to be able uh, to to do things uh, that we haven't been able to do before. We're going to have the chance to be who God has always called us to be. We're going to have a chance to do what God has always wanted us to do. But here's the truth of the matter. We can't do any of that without you. We can't relaunch without you. We can't better serve our community without you. We can't help people who are hurting around us without you. We can't be who God is calling us to be. We can't do what God is calling us to do without you. Or to put it as simply as I possibly can, we can't be the church without you. We can't be the church without you. Read those words again. Let that sink into you because it's so, so important. We can't be the church without you. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about why that is. We're going to talk about why we can't be the church without you. And we're going to talk about what the church needs from everyone who is a part of it. But before we get into all of that, I want to start out this morning by talking about a common misconception that a lot of people have when it comes to being a member of the church. And this is a misconception that Tom Rainer, who is the former president of Lifeway Christian Bookstores, describes in his book entitled, I Am a Church Member. Here's how Tom Rainer explains it. He writes this, says it was a big deal for this young boy living in a small southern town, I didn't know what a country club was, but I knew one was coming to our town. And it included a swimming pool, a dining area, and meeting rooms. The owners also promised that they were going to build a small golf course there, a promise that they would fulfill a couple of years later. Now, don't get the wrong impression here. This country club... Well, it wasn't the the typical upscale clubs that we often envision. It was a really small, private little enterprise just trying to make a few bucks in a small town by offering the people there a few nice amenities. But I was overwhelmed. See, my parents were middle class in income, and they could afford the small monthly membership fee. So from my perspective, I had it made. I could go to a swimming pool. I could go to a swimming pool. I didn't know anyone who had their own pool in town. So that amenity was exciting for me. I could also go over and I could order a burger. 
from their dining area. And we could have birthday parties in one of their meeting rooms or, yeah, even in that swimming pool. And even at that young age, I began to learn a lesson. That membership means perks. Membership means privilege. Membership means that others will serve me. All you got to do is pay the going rate and you can have other people taking care of you while you enjoy a life of leisure at swimming pool. And you know, Tom Rainer, he's not the only person who's ever thought that having perks and having privileges is what it means to be a member of something. You know, I had the same experience the first time that I ever really remember joining something. And for me, that first experience of becoming a member of something is when I joined the Columbia House Movie Club. Anybody else ever join one of those Columbia House Clubs, the movie ones, the CDs? Okay, I'm not the only one that conned into it. Okay, good. Now, if, if you weren't, if you never joined one of these groups, okay, let me, let me explain to you how it works. Now, Columbia House has always tried to hook their members by offering them perks and privileges for joining their clubs. And for me, when I joined their movie club years and years ago, the perk that I got for joining the club is that I got to buy 10 DVDs for 10 cents a piece. And since the going rate for DVDs at the time was like 20 bucks a pop, getting 10 of them for a dollar, that was a pretty nice perk. And on top of that, they also told me that I would get discounts whenever I bought two or more other DVDs from the club, and that they'd send them straight to my mailbox without charging me anything for the shipping. And this was long before Amazon had their Prime membership where everything ships for free, so getting free shipping for anything was a pretty big deal. And after I fulfilled my membership commitments, I could just unenroll and then re-enroll in the program all over again, and they'd let me pick out 10 more DVDs for 10 cents apiece. So I have an idea of what Tom Rainer is talking about when he talks about that country club that came to his small southern town. I, I understand what he's talking about, and I know that there is this misconception of what it means to be a church member that we get from experiences like country clubs and joining the Columbia House Movie Club. You see, there are a lot of people who think that being a member of a church is like being a member of a country club or it's like being a member of the Columbia House Movie Club. The think that being a member of a church is all about the perks and the privileges you can have here. Being a member of the church is about having someone serve them. Now, if that's what you think it means to be a member of our church, if that's what you think it means to be a member of Melbourne Heights, I have bad news for you this morning. I do. I've got bad news for you. Because being a member here, being a part of our church, it doesn't entitle you to perks and privileges. It doesn't mean that anyone in this church is going to be your own personal servant when you come through the doors. So let's spend some time this morning talking about what it really means to be a part of this church. And this isn't something that I just came up with on my own. This is something that the Apostle Paul, who just so happened to start more churches than just about anybody else in history, told one of the churches he started about 20 years or so after Jesus' resurrection. So this is stuff that we've been hearing about what it means to be a member of the church from the beginning of the church. So here's what Paul tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he writes this, 
He says, you are the body of Christ and parts of each other. You are the body of Christ and you are parts of each other. Now, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek and tell you that we're going to dig deeper into this passage next Sunday morning. But right now, I just want to stop and make sure that you get the very basic thing, the very essential thing that Paul is trying to tell us in this passage. And here's the easiest way that I can sum this up for you, okay? With what Paul just told us, this is, this is what he means. It means that being a part of the church isn't about me. Being a part of the church is about we. This is what Paul's getting at when he talks about we are the body of Christ and we're parts of that body. Being a part of the church isn't about me and what I can get out of the church. Being a part of the church is about we and what we can do together. This is a lesson to the church in Corinth, the people that Paul was writing this letter to, that they really needed to hear because there was apparently a significant group, one significant group in the church in Corinth who believed that they were better and that they were more important than anybody else in their church. And in this particular case, the, the group in Corinth that thought they were better than everybody else, well, they were people who were, were blessed with the ability to speak in tongues. And in this case, speaking in tongues seems to refer to the fact that this group, they were able to speak in some sort of heavenly language that nobody else in the entire Corinthian church could understand. And because this group could speak in this heavenly language, they believed that they must be closer to God. After all, they were speaking God's own language in their mind. So that meant if they were closer to God, they had to be better than everybody else in the church. Well, when Paul writes this letter, he's going to stop that thinking dead in its tracks. He's going to make sure that he addresses that right out of the gate and straightens out this group. And he does this first by prioritizing for the Corinthian church and for all of the, the people, everyone who would become a part of the church down the road, the proper order of spiritual gifts. Those things that are more important to Paul, more important than the, to the church than being able to speak in tongues. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul tells us, he says, In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, fourth miracle workers, fifth those with gifts of healing, sixth those with the ability to help others, seventh those who have leadership skills, and then eighth those who could speak in different kinds of tongues. We're talking about putting somebody in their place. This group had thought that they were better than everybody else in the church, and Paul says, well, at best you're in eighth place, folks. But here's the really surprising thing. It's the way that Paul finishes up this section altogether. Because Paul's not happy to leave it by prioritizing these gifts, this list of spiritual gifts. Paul finishes up this section by saying that even that way of thinking, that prioritizing any spiritual gifts, is the wrong way to think about what it means to be a part of the church. So in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is going to show us the right way to think about what it means to be a part of the church. So let me encourage you now to go ahead and grab your Bibles if you haven't yet and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to show you here what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth about what it really means to be a part of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to start reading together in verse 1. Here's what it says. If I speak in tongues, 
I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, then I'm a clanging gong or clashing cymbal. If I have the gifts of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Now, in just those three verses, Paul is trying to make it crystal clear what the most important thing is that you can do for the church. And if you go back and you think about what we just heard from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you hear that Paul's addressing it. Remember, you had people in the church who thought that being able to speak in these heavenly languages was the most important thing that they could do, but Paul says, even if you have that ability to speak in tongues, but you don't have love, then you're nothing but a, clash, a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. And then he goes on and he addresses the, the spiritual gifts that he prioritizes higher than speaking in tongues. Like the gift of prophecy, which is number two on his list. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything and I have such complete faith that I can do miracles by moving mountains, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. And then he goes on and he talks about some of the other gifts that he has, that, that he's prioritized in this list. And he says, if I have everything, if I give away everything that I have and hand it over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, and I receive no benefit whatsoever. Paul's doing everything that he can to make it clear what really matters for the church. And the most important thing, the most important thing that you can do for the church, it isn't being able to stand up behind a pulpit and preach on Sunday mornings. It isn't being able to stand in the choir loft and sing in the choir. It isn't about being able to teach a Sunday school class. It isn't about being able to serve as a deacon or a trustee or a greeter or an usher. No, what Paul says is that none of these things matter if you don't have love. Nothing else you do for the church matters if you don't love your church. It doesn't matter how many hats you wear around here. It doesn't matter how much money you drop in the offering plate when it goes by. It doesn't matter how many years you've been coming to this church. Nothing else matters if you don't love your church. So the most important thing that you can do for our church is love it. The most important thing you can do for our church is love our church. It's the most important thing we can do is love the church that we're a part of. And as we keep reading together in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to see how each and every one of us can do a better job of loving our church. So Paul's going to teach us. He's going to teach us how we can do a better job of loving this church that we're a part of. So you pick back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the beginning of verse 4, and this is what it says. Right out of the gates, Paul tells us what love is all about, and he says, love is patient. So how can, you, how can you love our church better? You love our church better by being patient with us. And that is really important at where we're at right now as a church. Because we have been in a long holding pattern together as a church 
For two years, we've been working to sell our property so that we can relocate. And we have had to put a lot of things on the back burner over the last couple of years. And we've still got a little bit longer to go before this chapter in our church's history is behind us. So we need you to be patient with church. Because we are moving through this process as quickly as we possibly can. And we're getting closer to wrapping up this chapter and beginning a new one together. But we're not there yet. So we need you to be patient while we travel this road together, trusting that we are going to get there together. So we keep reading. The next thing that Paul tells us about love is he says that love is kind. Now this should go without saying, but we're going to say it anyway. But part of loving your church means that you should be kind to the people who are part of this church. Okay? Part of loving your church means that you need to be kind to the people that are part of this church. And your kindness shouldn't depend on whether you agree with someone's opinion or not. Your kindness shouldn't depend on if you get your own way or not. Your kindness shouldn't, should be rooted in the fact that God loves every single person in this place, every bit as much as God loves you. So you should love them like God does. Paul keeps on writing. The next thing that he says about love is he says that love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Loving your church means that you shouldn't be jealous. And I think that this is especially true of what is happening when we look out at other churches that we know about, other churches in our community or other churches that we've been to, because sometimes when your church is going through a little bit of a rough patch, Sometimes when your church is struggling just a little bit, it's easy to look at what's happening in other churches and see churches that are doing well and to wish that your church could be more like that church over there or to wonder what's, what they're doing in their church that you're not doing in your church. So we get a little bit jealous when God is blessing other churches when our church is struggling a little bit. But I want you to hear this right now because it is so, so important. And it is so, so important because people outside of the church, people who aren't following Jesus right now, they don't care. They don't care about what church is doing great and what church is hurting, but they care about the way that we talk about other churches. And when we get jealous about how things are going in one church, people around us who have never heard about Jesus, all they hear is this jealous church. So when we know that there's another church that is doing well, that is growing, we should be excited for them. We should be excited for them because of what God is doing to grow God's kingdom. When another church is doing well, we are all doing well. We're all on the same team together. We're all trying to reach people with the good news of Jesus together. So when one is doing well, we should be excited and celebrate for them, not jealous of their success. The next thing Paul tells us about love he says it doesn't brag and it is not arrogant. There's another way that I like to put this. Love doesn't say, I told you so. Love doesn't say, I told you so. And again, this is so important for us. And where we're at as a church right now. Because as we are moving toward our future together, we're walking down uncharted paths. We haven't made this journey before and there's not many other churches that have ever made this type of journey before. So you know what that means? It means we're going to mess up. It means that we are going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to mess up. It's going to happen. And it's not going to do any of us any good if any of us like to stand back there and say, well, I told you that wasn't going to work. 
Well, I told you that was a bad idea. Well, I told you we shouldn't have done that. Love doesn't say I told you so. And this plays right into the next thing that Paul tells us. When Paul says, love isn't rude. Love isn't rude. What's that mean? Well, it means that we can disagree with each other without having to be mean to each other. We can disagree without having to be mean to each other. And what we need to remember is what it means to be a part of this church. We all love this church. We all want what's best for this church. We just might have different ideas about what that is and how to get there. But we all love this church. So we don't have to be mean. We don't have to be rude to each other. We just have to love each other. Next, Paul tells us this about love. He says, it doesn't seek its own advantage. Love doesn't seek its own advantage. And this gets back to that country club mentality that too many people have when it comes to being a part of the church. Being a part of the church isn't about getting what's best for you. It's about doing what's best for the kingdom of God. Let me say that one again for you. Being a part of the church isn't about getting what's best for you. It's about doing what's best for the kingdom of God. So just because you may not like a certain sermon that I preach on a Sunday morning, or just because you may not like when I blow up an inflatable Christmas tree a month before Christmas rolls around, that doesn't mean that I am trying to lead the church astray, okay? <laughs> Love doesn't seek its own advantage. Love is more concerned about building God's kingdom than it is about doing what's best for me. Paul goes on to say next that love isn't irritable. So don't be irritable when you come to church. Don't be irritable when you come to church. What does that mean? Don't come in here looking for things to complain about. Instead, look for things to celebrate. Why? Because here's something we forget. Here's something that we forget when we struggle, when our church is going through a rough patch. It's easy when a church is going through a rough patch to find those negative things. To say, I don't like that he blew up a Christmas tree, inflated a Christmas tree right in the front of the sanctuary a month before Christmas rolled around. I don't like the sermon that he preached last week. It's easy to find those things to complain about. But when we start focusing in on the negative things, we forget all the positive stuff that God is doing. And God is good, right? Amen. I'm glad somebody said amen. I was going to be worried. Nobody did. God is, all, God is good all the time. God is always doing good things, and God is always doing more good in His church than not. So we need to shift our perspective because love isn't irritable. We shouldn't be coming in looking for things to complain about. We should come into this place looking for things that we can celebrate instead. Next, Paul tells us that love doesn't keep a record of complaints. Love doesn't keep score. So you shouldn't either. Next, Paul says that love isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. What this means for us is that we should always be working together toward justice. We should always be trying to help those around us who are hurting. We should always be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth like God has called us to do from the days of Abraham. And then finally, Paul says this. He says, love puts up with all things. Love trusts in all things. 
Love hopes for all things. Love endures all things. Or to put it another way for you, this is what Paul's telling you. Telling us. Paul says love doesn't give up. Love doesn't give up. And I can't even begin to tell you how important this is for our church right now. Remember, we can't be who we're called to be without you. We can't be who we're called to be without you. We can't do what we're called to do without you. But if you quit, if you give up, then we can't be the church we're meant to be. And we've been through so much together over the last couple of years. And if we're being honest here, there isn't a person who is sitting in this room right now who hasn't had the chance and probably even the temptation to just give up on our church somewhere along the way. And just because the end of this chapter is getting closer, just because we're not as far away from finalizing the sale of the building, from moving out of this property, moving into a new location, just because this chapter is coming closer to an end, that doesn't mean that the temptation to give up is going to go away. We know that changes are coming to our church. And we all know that change is hard. And some of the changes that are coming, like moving out of this building, like the possibility of meeting and worshiping inside of a hotel ballroom instead of this sanctuary, may not be easy for you. So the temptation's going to be there to walk away, to give up, to quit. But we can't be who God has called us to be. We can't do what God wants us to do without you. So don't give up. Don't give up on us. Don't give up on our church. I mean, you've made it this far with us. Go a little further. Keep on loving our church. And that's part of what it means to be a member, to be a part of Melbourne Heights. That's part of what our church needs from you. We need you to love our church. Not because we're the perfect church, we know that we're not. But because... We're your church. So love us. Be patient with us. Be kind to us. Encourage us. Support us. Pray for us. Help us become the church that God wants us to be. i to wrap it up for you. The most important thing you can do for our church is love our church. Let's pray. God, you know we live in a world that has all kinds of ideas about what it means to be a member of a group or an organization. And you know that oftentimes that means perks and privileges. But that's not what it means to be a part, what it means to be a member of your church, God. The first thing that you call us to is to love this church, to give of ourselves to this church, to pray for the church, to encourage the church, to sacrifice some of our wants and our desires and even our needs for your church. So God, my prayer this morning is that everyone who can hear my words has been challenged by these words. To love. To love the way that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13. So God, allow us to do that. Allow us to love your church. Pray it in Jesus' name.
Hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. I hope that this week's episode has not only challenged you to love your church, but that it's also helped you understand how you can do a better job of loving your church. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue talking about what it means to be a part of the church, and we're going to be circling back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be digging deeper into what Paul tells us about the church in that passage. As always, that episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it gets sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Now, before I go, I just want to tell you that just because this episode is coming to an end, I hope you don't forget what you've heard in this episode. Love your church. Love your church, because that's the first thing that every church needs from its members. We'll see you next week for another sermon podcast.